Radio. Conversations with Daniel Noor. Tackling the tough questions on cradio.org.au. Conversations with Daniel Noor is an edgy topical podcast featuring an expert on a hot topic in society, speaking to myself. Every couple of weeks, you can tune in and get up to speed. So don't fake it. Know what Catholicism says about the stuff that matters. You're listening to Conversations with Daniel Noor, and today I'm joined by Father Simon Squee. Father Simon Squee is a Ukrainian Catholic priest, and he serves at Ukrainian Catholic Church in Sydney. St Andrews is the name of that parish, uh, parish rather. Father Simon Squee uh, is familiar with Eastern Catholic traditions and has uh, some understanding of Orthodox traditions as well. It makes him the perfect candidate for today's discussion, which is Orthodox Catholic Dialogue. Two lungs, one church. I'm privileged to join him in his lovely home today. Father Simon, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. So it's an enormous subject that we're looking at here. Um, Historically and theologically, there are a number of talking points. I thought we might start here on this discussion of Orthodox Catholic dialogue with a historical breakdown of schism and its reasons. I've listed here that there are political and ecclesiastical differences, but could you perhaps let us know, just are there some major uh, schisms or periods of conflict or perhaps uh, dates that one should know? Uh, well, of course, there is the Great Schism um, uh, between uh, the Western Church and the Eastern uh, Church of Constantinople uh, that took place in um, uh, the year uh, 10... Uh, I think it was 1060 or so. Mm, thereabouts. Uh, thereabouts. Um, that, that's the, 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 the schism on which... Um, or the separation on which... Uh, you know, uh, the, the, the scandalous division of the church is really centred upon. Of course, uh, from the earliest centuries of the church, uh, there, there were various uh, divisions, uh, such as with the Nestorians and, and the uh, um, uh, uh, others, you know, be it over the Christological nature mm. of Christ, be it over um, uh, the Mother of God, um, or the Aryan schisms and, and so forth, and some of those remnants are still in place. But the uh, but the big one it was really uh, between Rome and Constantinople, between the Church of Rome and the Church of Byzantium, uh, that took place and uh, has a lasting effect to this day. Mm. There have been uh, lots of attempts made, I think, at kind of rectifying this enormous disparity. But before we get into that, could you tell me just what are the major differences between Eastern Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions and observances? Things that the regular Roman Catholic might want to know about, for example. Well, as an an Eastern Catholic, we try as much as possible to maintain all the traditions that are particular to our church. and uh, I can only speak of, of, of my own church, the Ukrainian Catholic Church. There is a very strong move today to, uh, to um, go back to many of the traditions that are still practiced by our Orthodox brothers and sisters, uh, whilst at the same time maintaining uh, traditions that have uh, developed. Because the liturgy is a living thing, and, and um, uh, whilst we don't go out of our way to make changes in the liturgy, that there is an organic 
progression that is certainly amongst the Ukrainian Catholics. Uh, we have to realise that we've been uh, in communion with the Church of Rome since uh, uh, 1596. So uh, mm. you know, it's more than 400 years now. And, and in that time, we have developed uh, certain practices that are slightly different to the Orthodox, mainly in the way we celebrate liturgy uh, or some of the other offices, some of the um, uh, more localised traditions uh, that we have. Uh, theologically, differences between Orthodox and Catholics, um, there are a few, not terribly many. Um, a few, but substantial ones, I think. Well, the, the, the most substantial one would be uh, the primacy of the See of Peter. Mm. That, that would be the most substantial uh, um, uh, difference, is what, what the Petrine ministry means to the Orthodox. Uh, they very much live on the um, uh, premise of uh, prima inter pares, the first among equals, which uh, they accord to the Patriarch of Constantinople. At the moment, Patriarch is uh, all holding this Bartholomew. Um, but then there are there are others uh, which, um, dogmatically speaking, you know, could could be overcome quite easily. Mm. And it's uh, people often drag out the filioque as being. Um, a major obstacle. Uh, well, it's not. I mean, as, as, a, as a Catholic, I do not use the filioque. Now, the filioque is the part of the creed, of course, uh, which, uh, when translated, means with the Son. That's right. And so it's about the procession of the Holy Spirit. Right. Um, uh, that uh, in the Latin tradition since uh, the time of the Emperor Charlemagne has been that the Holy Spirit proceeds through the Father and the Son. And uh, the Eastern tradition has always been that uh, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. Mm. Um, and certainly in the Ukrainian eparchy here in Australia, or, uh, under the direction of our bishop, uh, about 10, 15 years ago, uh, we went back to the traditional Eastern understanding and, and uh, have omitted the uh, filioque uh, the, and son in the creed. Mm. Uh, but even before we did that, our liturgical books have always traditionally had uh, the words and the son mm. uh, in brackets mm. uh, to show that it was a later edition. Does such a, I suppose, qualm point to a substantial difference in theological, perhaps, emphasis? Or is it maybe a more political implication? Does the respect of the omission of the filioque kind of um, give deference to the the traditional view of of Christianity, which otherwise might perhaps be betrayed by its inclusion? Uh, that, there's a lot of sense in that. Um, the theologically is neither here nor there. Mm. You can argue both quite correctly and. Uh, and many theologians uh, over time have, and I'm, I'm not a theologian, I'm not going to go into the details uh, of that. Um, but uh, there is a, uh, a sense in the, uh, in the Orthodox tradition, in the Eastern tradition, you know, that uh, if you're going to make a change to this, it would require a council of the church. Mm. And, um, and no real council took place to, to change. Uh, a creed that uh, is basically uh, a creed of two councils, the Nicene Council and also the uh, Council of Constantinople, uh, which tweaked the Nicene Creed a bit. Uh, Without the consent of, of what today is the Eastern Orthodox. 
community? Well, those councils, the first councils of the church, were uh, were universal councils. Uh, there was no difference between Catholic and Orthodox. Uh, as Catholics, we believe that the, uh, the Holy Father had a uh, principal role, even though he was not present, but through a papal legate of some sort. And, um, it's, uh, it was those councils that uh, gave us the, uh, the core of church teaching as, as we know it today. And, mm. and basically all, of, all, all the church teaching comes from those early councils. Mm. Father, there's also a uh, recognition of each other's sacraments. Now that's always um, perhaps been the ideal, but it's not necessarily the case in uh, you know, a universal way. So I know, for example, that... Uh, the Catholic Church recognises Orthodox sacraments and as such any Orthodox uh, parishioner who happens upon a Catholic Church can be involved in communion. The same mightn't be true of Catholics who are in an Orthodox community, say they're travelling or, or some such. Um, they might not have been extended that same favour. Does the recognition of each other's sacraments need to happen in order for a fuller communion to take place? I think when we speak of the word communion, that's that's basically um, reuniting the church into one mystical body, um, and that is a long way off. Um, I think uh, um, we 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 would just be fantasising to think that you know that's just around the corner. It's not um, as much as we we would like it to be. Um, as for the recognition of the sacraments. Um, that poses difficulties, not so much for the Catholic side, but certainly um, the Orthodox side um, has difficulty in recognising uh, certain sacraments. And whilst they may publicly recognise them, um, if a Catholic converts to Orthodoxy, then he, unfortunately, um, in many cases of this, is rebaptized and reconfirmed, mm. which really stands against everything that we believe uh, in the permanent mark that these sacraments give that transcends, um, you know, uh, the, uh, the squabbles that may take place um, between different churches. Mm. It would seem to be maybe um, perhaps a, a generosity of, of spirit maybe that is needed there in order to make that there must always be a generosity of spirit. Possible. Um, you know, you can't, you, can, you can't achieve anything. Uh, but again, there, there must also be an adherence to what we fundamentally believe is, is true. Um, so, you know, until these, um, these issues are worked through by those who are much higher and better informed than myself, uh, then you know all we can do is, is continue to pray for, for a restoration of, of the oneness of the church to which mm. Christ calls us. There is now this movement, this so, so you know having covered maybe two of those uh, theological talking points, there is another kind of wave that's coming upon the church. It's called the ecumenism of blood and it's something to which Pope Francis referred uh, to and of course we've seen it happening and I think it was the uh, the martyrdom of the 21 Christians in Libya that maybe helped um, confirm this idea of consensus that we're seeing and that enemies of Christians don't tend to discriminate between uh, their communities. So do you think that in this century, 2015, we've seen a resurgence of ecumenical mindedness? And if so, what might you put that down to? 
persecution uh, always brings people together. Uh, there is no question of that. It has throughout history. And in a way, persecution and martyrdom uh, is a gift. Um, it is a heavy cross to bear. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it is how the glory of God uh, can shine through uh, you know, the darkness. Um, there is always a, a different approach to ecumenical relations between different churches. And it's dangerous for us to lump, you know, the separated brethren, mm. um, you know, Orthodox churches into one basket, mm. because it's not. Um, the the um, Orthodox, the Coptic Orthodox, for example, um, would have a totally different approach towards uh, their Catholic brothers and sisters and say the Russian Orthodox Church of Moscow, or the Moscow Patriarchate would. Um, the, the, the Church of the East, for example, again, would have totally different relations with, the, um, with, the, uh, with their brothers and sisters and say the Chaldean Catholic Church or the Maronite or the Syriac Catholic Church than, um, than uh, the Church of Greece would. Hmm. Um, uh, they have a lot more, there's a lot more to be gained, I think, uh, in those areas of the Middle East, uh, of Northern Africa, um, whereas uh, more, there are more nationalist policies at play in, in, in other Orthodox jurisdictions mm. that really stand in the, um, in the way of any truly meaningful uh, dialogue. Mm. And with that in mind, is there good reason for that resistance, for that political, uh, I suppose, aversion to the prospect of a uh, kind of total unity with the Catholic Church, which might seem to be a total submission to the Catholic Church? Well, that, that, that is the concern. Uh, that is the concern. And, yeah. and to date, um, I, I must say, and this may be rather you know, controversial, but the example of the United Churches that now exist within um, the scheme of the, of the Catholic Church is not always the best example to use as to uh, how to bring people in. Now, what um, do you mean, Father, by United Churches? Those churches that have come to Rome through a union. Right. Such as my, the Ukrainian Catholic Church, right. which came to Rome in the union of Brest-Litovsk in, uh, for, in 1596. Um, what would be ideal? What would be ideal would be a recognition of, of the current churches as Orthodox as they are without submitting, um, I think, to, to not so much... You know, it's, it's, it's a communion of churches. Mm. And even though everything that the the popes throughout the centuries have said, um, you know, about you know, the Eastern churches being that, being churches, well, that doesn't always play out in the real scheme of things. Mm. I mean, you know, we, we're often just seen, as I, as I often have said, we're, the Eastern church, the Eastern Catholic churches are often seen as very little else than an ornamental bauble on the Christmas tree of the Catholic church, you know, mm. uh, where, where the sparkly bits. 
Um, now, why is that, Father? That, that there is merely an ornamentality and no real substantial involvement, say? What, and what, what would it look like if it was a, a more dignified and respectful approach? Um, the patriarchs of the Eastern Catholic churches would enjoy an equal rank with the Pope. Um, they would, they would uh, uh, not be cardinals, yet, the, yet they would be electors mm. of the Pope. Um, they would enjoy a dignity uh, much higher than what they have now, um, where they are very much beholden to Roman um, congregations uh, in the Vatican Courier. Um, it, it, a lot of it has to do with the dignity of, a, of, of the individual church, and, and really to be left to their own, you know, traditions. You know, to stop copying what the Roman Church does. I mean, mm. uh, we don't need to copy what the Roman Church does uh, because we generally turn our back on our own traditions in doing so. But I, I think, um, uh, you know. If, for true unity, there must be a concept of uh, an equality between all the churches. Just because one church is bigger than the rest doesn't mean it, it can uh, dominate that church by its size. Um, and uh, uh, whilst, you know, the, the, the Holy Father and, and his predecessors have, have more or less said that, uh, I think it's sort of more lower down than... Uh, um, mm. And often the problem is with the churches themselves. They have very much an inferiority complex. Now, which churches have oh, the Eastern Catholic? Church. The Eastern Catholic. Yeah, yes. They feel the need to put punch above their weight somehow. But because we are a minority, and especially in a place like Australia, where um, you know we, we are very much uh, a minority um, in the Catholic scheme of things. Mm. Um, to adopt Latin ways and traditions might well, be seen to that, that is one aspect of expedient. it. But another, another one is, you know, just, you know, just so many young people that continue to practice, no longer practice in their own tradition, in their own church, but have gone to the Latin church. Uh, that does not augur well for the future. Um, but the reason why people have done that is because they don't have a knowledge of their own tradition. They don't have a knowledge of their own church. Mm. They don't... Um, you know, fully understand the beauty of their own tradition. Um, and I, I think a lot of that comes down to is this, uh, they, they look upon, you know, well, well, the Pope is Roman Catholic and we all love the Pope, um, so why don't we just all become Latin Catholics? You know, so there, there is that mindset. I, I, I see it often, and it's sad. Um, we often talk about the primacy of Peter. Just what does that entail? Well, the primacy of Peter is the primacy of Peter. It is Peter is the Prince of the Apostles, the Pope, the successor of Jesus Christ. The uh, you know in him is the union of the Church. But I think that you know um, we turn to the Pope as did the early Church. You know for the, for, for resolution of differences that could not be decided by council. Um, I think again there is a totally different mindset in governance uh, in the Orthodox. That it, it, whilst they have their patriarchs or metropolitan archbishops, it is very much the synod that that is the primary decision making um, uh, body uh, of an Eastern Church. Um, that is not the tradition of the 
the Western Church, and I wouldn't impose that on the Western Church. Uh, but mm. uh, I, I think there has to be an understanding that um, uh, no form of union between East and West can exist on any models that currently, you know, currently exist. exist. Yes. I suppose what I'm getting at, Father, is what do we need to give up? And especially Roman Catholics. You said that there's not necessarily a resistance on the part of the clergy or the, perhaps the curia or the pope, but that on, on, the low, on the lower echelons, people have misconceptions. So in closing, is there some misconception that Roman Catholics need to give up about their importance or the significance they have and how that would play out? Oh, look, I, I, again, I don't think we can ask them to give anything up as such. Um, you know, that's... that's uh, Am I thinking of it wrong? Uh, no, no, no. I, I, I think there, there has to be a greater understanding um, by the Western Church of the, the way the Eastern Church functions. Mm. Um, and uh, the, the concept of union that is often spoken about. You know, that it's not just about union. Whilst we pray for the unity of churches, that that union must first and foremost not be a union of authority, but a union of love. Mm. And uh, we have to start building from that. And the only way we can truly love is by knowing, by knowledge. Mm. We love God because we know God. And the love that exists between churches um, must be based on the knowledge of the unique uh, role that each of these churches uh, has and and again it's it's important that we refer to to them as churches be they in the you know eastern catholics they're not eastern catholic rites they are eastern catholic churches rome is quite specific on that um but yet we persist in you know referring to the maronite rite or the chaldean rite well no they're not rites they're churches um yeah so it's a, it's a mindset but i i think there is always hope and uh, we um uh, we should not, you know, take one thing away. I, I am a Catholic. I, I believe with all my heart in the uh, primacy of, of Peter um, that that is, you know, where Christ wants the church to be. Mm. Um, uh, and I, I, I believe that one day, you know, the scandal of disunity will uh, will be um, uh, changed. Uh, but uh, that only happens through uh, a willingness of, of both parties and uh, sometimes um, that is lacking. Mm. Well, um, until we reach uh, fuller and more perfect communion, we can certainly read up and, uh, and do some research and I think you've certainly put us in the right direction. So thank you so much, Father Simon, for joining us in this instalment of Conversations with Daniel Noor. It was Orthodox Catholic Unity, Two Lungs, one church. Thank you for listening and uh, enjoy all of the other great podcasts right here on Cradio. And thank you, Father Simon. You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode of Conversations with Daniel Noor. And for more episodes of Conversations and for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.